Hello, listeners. From home or on the road, catch a favorite story. You are listening to Catch the Story, the podcast where in each episode we bring you great stories told by dear storytellers. I'm your host, Lucia Matuonto, and it's time to catch the story. Our first storyteller is Wayne D. McFallon. Wayne is an accomplished author and storyteller. We are delighted to share his captivating narrative titled The Day We Pitched the Long Shark. There is a great quote by author Dean Koontz that he put in the mouth of one of his characters. The quote reads, You can con God and get away with it if you do so with charm and wit. If you live your life with imagination and verve, God will play along just to see what outrageously entertaining thing you'll do next. The Day We Pitched the Loan Shark I only worked at the radio station in Las Vegas for a few weeks. That was enough. It was owned by a guy I now loosely call a mentor of sorts, although he never intended that to be the case. From him, I learned as much about what not to do as to how to create deals and function in the mostly unknown and weird universe of independent radio stations. There are still a few individually owned radio stations here and there in the U.S. Most stations, though, are now part of mega media companies that feed satellite music formats or political vitriol to their huge station roster. When the great extinction event occurred of small stations being swallowed by media megalodons, it was, in reality, the demise of broadcast carny folks. Instead of running JoJo the Dogface Boy stands on a carnival midway, these radio barkers ran little radio stations throughout the country. They cheerfully hawked everything from religion to used cars. Occasionally, if they could get it, they were paid money for advertising. Other times, usually neglecting to inform the IRS, they traded advertising time for everything imaginable, from limos to lawn chairs. To own a radio station before the IRS crackdown and the great sell-off was to never pay cash for anything. You just traded advertising on your radio station for whatever you wanted. You could trade for literally anything. Want a five-star excursion to Fiji? Make a phone call or two. You got your exotic vacation and the travel company got advertising tax-free on all sides. Perfect. Frank was an old-time radio carny guy, and I worked for him off and on until I became too uneasy to continue. From humble beginnings and ownership of teeny radio stations in such metro areas as rural Louisiana, Frank had risen to become the king of broadcast advertising trade. The IRS eventually put a stop to it all, but until they did, Frank became a legend of sorts. He traded unsold radio commercial time on an ever higher scale for everything, from an elephant parade for his daughter's birthday to a cruise ship. In his orbit were an astonishing cast of characters, such as Buzz, the guy who arrived at prison in a limousine to serve his time for tax evasion, 
This, granted, was a tad unusual. It was made truly notable due to his having acquired the limo through airtime commercial trades, the very same activity that had landed him in jail in the first place. He also brought with him a few thousand dollars worth of handmade suits, prison garb being so drab. While he was not allowed to wear them, I later heard he was allowed to hang up the suits in his cell, I guess in memory of better times. Buzz got out of jail early for good behavior, right after nailing a job as assistant to the warden. The warden's son was subsequently and quickly accepted to one of the leading East Coast universities after having been previously and repeatedly turned down. Frank was famous for his offbeat sense of humor. When an actual station owner-manager, he came up with such shows as Music by Dead People, with songs prefaced with lurid details of the artist's demise. That one made him both famous and hated. When Listener Fury peaked, he created a call-in talk show called Ask the Owner. He would sit at an open microphone and goad music fan callers into screaming, How could you do such a thing? His response was always, Because I'm the owner, which invariably provoked more screaming. He would record the most hostile responses and preface each show with snippets. Ask the Owner became so popular that advertisers actually started paying cash for commercials. When I met Frank, he was rapidly approaching his high-water mark. He invited me to a huge party. Trade food, trade booze, trade music. All festivities were taking place in a 20th-story California Beach penthouse, for which I later discovered he had traded a multi-year lease. He invited other radio luminaries to attend with the proviso that to get in, the attendee had to present at least one trade deal advertising contract of $10,000 or more made with a company that went bankrupt before they paid off. The place was packed. Attending the party was an owner of a radio station in Los Angeles. The station was later sold for millions of dollars, but at the time was floundering. The situation was due, Frank thought, to a stupid choice of the music being broadcast. Frank introduced me and then put his arm around the shoulders of the beleaguered station owner. We were standing by the penthouse window. It was a hell of a view. Santa Monica's twinkling lights were stretching to the horizon. See that? asked Frank. There's millions of people out there, all covered by the signal of your radio station. When the station owner nodded hopefully, Frank added, and not one of them is listening to you. Always on the lookout for a bargain, shortly thereafter Frank bought a potboiler radio station in Las Vegas. Potboiler radio stations were so called because they had very weak broadcast signals. These signals did not cover much area. In this case, the station's signal was just strong enough to blanket Las Vegas. This was fine with Frank, as there was nothing beyond Las Vegas unless you wanted to add to your lizard collection. Worse yet, the station was a daytimer, which meant its already weak signal had to be cut back even further at night. When acquired by Frank, the station was broadcasting religious programs, the earnest sermons of which were interrupted every few moments with pleas for donations. The station had been losing money for years. 
Frank bagged the preachers and started playing country-western music. The station was still hemorrhaging money when he called me up. With no introduction at all, he started right in. I have an idea. His last idea had involved hiring an L.A. lawyer called Mad Dog to lock up a passenger jet at the Los Angeles airport. They owed me, he said at the time, seemingly unconcerned that it was my account and the howling from stranded passengers made the national news. We'll make the station trade only, no cash for advertising, he said. Then we'll sell the trade stuff we get for cash. He said this into the stark silence from my end. It's never been done before. You can help me. We'll live like kings. He eventually sweetened the deal with a bit of what he called walking around money, an unheard of commission schedule, and airline tickets. When I walked into the Las Vegas station, there were three or four other folks in the densely smoke-filled sales room. They were a random bunch, each clearly enticed by the live-like-kings inducement. The two most colorful of the crew were a retired buxom lady dancer who spent her off hours with the former mayor of Las Vegas. The former mayor sported a spectacular, much-broken nose. The other guy in the sales room had unruly hair and kept a thirty-eight in his briefcase. I later asked him, why the gun? He replied that he needed protection when he went on random sales calls. As he never left the office but arrived daily with bone-crushing hangovers, I concluded the protection required had more to do with off-hours activity than work. At first, all went well. Taking trade for advertising was an easy sell, and we truly lived like we were rich. No money, but the finest of accommodations, food, drink, shows, and various goods. These were all swag from trade deals. Sadly, after a short period of time, it became clear that making mortgage or car payments with swag was a non-starter. Frank called me into his office. We need money, he said without preamble. You and I are going to sell a cash advertising contract to Jim's Bail Bonds. Now, I was new to Las Vegas, but even I knew that Big Jim, owner of Jim's Bail Bonds, was a notorious and huge loan shark, definitely not a man to be trifled with. Jim's Bail Bonds was fronted by Big Jim and his son Little Jim, reputed to be mean as a rattlesnake. I've even created a sample commercial for them, continued Frank happily. He pressed the playback button on his portable tape recorder, and 60 seconds of stentorian disc jockey sound poured forth. It sounded pretty good, actually. A straightforward music-backed exhortation for listeners to call Jim's bail bonds if they ran afoul of the law. Thus reassured and being promised the account would be mine when sold, we made the run to Jim's. We have an appointment, said Frank. Big Jim was reputedly quite slippery about having face-to-face -face meetings. I never thought to ask exactly how it was we had an actual appointment when it was said that even paper-carrying law enforcement officials found it to be a problem. When we were ushered into the conference room, it obviously was Big Jim at the head of the table. To his right was a younger guy, a truly tasteless dresser with slick-back razor-cut hair. Little Jim, I assumed.
Little Jim opened the conversation. I think this is a total waste of time and we don't need to buy anything. But I have a sample commercial, Frank responded, unfazed. We don't need to hear any goddamn... Big Jim held up his hand. Play it, he commanded, and Frank pushed the button. Instead of the sweet timbre of the disc jockey's rendition, Frank's voice, backed by organ music in a minor key, boomed forth. Hit your mom with an axe? If you have money in the bank, here at Jim's Bail Bonds, we don't care. By now, little Jim was on his feet, but Frank let the commercial play on. Shot your wife and buried her in the desert? If you have equity in real estate here at Jim's Bail Bonds, we don't care. Little Jim's eyes were bulging. I had never seen anyone's eyes actually bulge before. He pointed at us. You, you... Then he stopped and looked over at his dad, who was emitting strangling noises. Big Jim was laughing so hard I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Tears were streaming down his face. It took him a minute to catch his breath. He looked at Frank. That took some balls, you dumb bastard, he said. That was great. Great. I'll give you your deal on one condition. I waited for the shoe to drop as Frank pushed over a whopper of a contract. One year on the air. All cash. In advance. What's the condition, asked Frank, fumbling with his pen. Big Jim answered, You give me a copy of that commercial, and it better be the only copy, and you never run anything on the air without my approval. You got it, Frank responded, and the deal was done. Little Jim never said a word, but if looks could kill, Frank and I would have walked out with a case of Ebola. I always thought Big Jim wanted that commercial to bury it. Frank told me years later that, in fact, Big Jim played it at parties for a long time, right up until he went to jail. This story is just one of the many interlinked tales featured in Wayne's book, Tales from the Day. Next, we are honored to introduce Dr. Roxani Daleo. Dr. Roxani is a highly regarded expert in health psychology, recognized for innovative contributions to the field. Her story, Sound Healing, reminds us to cherish the various phases of life's journey. The work you're about to experience is built on many years of working with chronic and terminally ill children, particularly terminally ill children, who taught me how to live in the moment each day. A quantum leap in consciousness is taking place as we stand on the threshold of a new evolutionary turn. And we are in the emergence of a divine human being. Each of us has an opportunity as a teacher, a parent, a therapist, to step up into our purpose, to live in right use of our power, our wisdom, our energy. And so today, for the next little while, what I'd like to do is to travel around the medicine wheel. Each of you has a format, an outline in front of you, that will help us to stay on track 
Each season meant to remind us not only of the interconnectedness of all living things, of the web of life, of the wheel, the medicine wheel, but also of the qualities that I share with children using the Native American tradition because it is such a beautiful way of teaching and honoring the cycle of life and seeing it as a circle where you build one season, one wind to the next, to the next, and qualities that you can take with you as you travel year by year into each season of your life. So as you begin in the spring, I will share with you some themes on birth, renewal, courage, taken from two particular CDs, um, The Way of the, the um, Magic Seed and Wonka the Caring Elephant. We start in preschool, early childhood. Then we move to summer, where the theme of growth, trust, and love resides. And there, school-age children will be spoken to as they start to tap into what is it that makes them able to maintain their own contentment and be responsible for their happiness. Then to the winter, the autumn, the way of the leaf, the season of abundance, of really harvest and gratitude. And then finally, to the north, the winter, the season of introspection, wisdom, and death. And we follow the way of the bear for harmony. All of these programs, all of the MindWorks programs, focus on appreciating the richness of our inner life. And as we travel, we recognize that basically, as teachers, we have an opportunity to help children help themselves. And that's what really has inspired me to create these beautiful recordings and now some DVDs. Because children in the hospital needed help calming down, getting to sleep, bolstering self-esteem and confidence to undergo medical surgical procedures that were very scary and difficult, some even painful. Maybe trying something new, needing to alleviate some of their worries, fears, pains, and most importantly, to enliven their creativity again. I use guided imagery as a powerful tool in helping children cope with conditions ranging from anxiety to terminal illness. And many of these tapes are designed to give children tools for coping with either a difficult feeling like grief or change, or teaching them mental rehearsal to see themselves doing something successfully, especially if they had previously bad experience. Why these tapes are so powerful? It's because one of the most important benefits of guided imagery is the development of a positive self-image. And since we can shape our way of being by tuning in to what we say to ourselves and how we are being with ourselves, we are reminded that every day we are engaged in thought. 
that our thoughts are the lens through which we see the world. Our interpretation of what happens is far more important than what actually happens. The brain makes no distinction between real or imagined information. If you don't believe me, take yourself to a scary movie and just notice how your body responds. Your heart rate increases. You might even feel your heart pounding. Your hands perspire. Hair follicles go erect. Eyes dilate. All of these are your physiologic reaction to the stimulation or the information that's taken in. But what transmits that is the meaning, the meaning we give, the conclusions we reach, the way we judge and label events will greatly determine how we feel and how we act. And it is immediately translated into our physiology. I only know that because I was impressed with what happened when I was studying this field of psychoneuroimmunology. And I'll break it apart. It is the study of how the psyche, the emotions, connect with the chemistry of the brain, the neurology or the neuropathways, as it begins a cascading triggering of chemicals, neurochemicals, that either promote healing or inhibit it. Children of all ages gather in this circle round. The campfire is burning. Come sit with me on the ground. I'll tell you a story of a way from long ago when people shared their life and journey with drum, dance, and song. A way they believed was sacred to live their whole life long in harmony with all relations that walk, crawl, swim, or fly. You see, to these people, everything has a purpose. Everything is alive. Animals were their friends, their teachers. They taught them how to live, showing them their character. Their way is what they give. The geese fly home for winter. The bear return to their cave. When winter comes, all animals know to prepare for the cold and snow. Now, this is a story about winter time. This is the story about bear. So come with me to find out what way bear has to share. The way of the bear is go inside. A calm center he can save. His strength and power is from deep thin. He renews it. From his cave. Dr. Roxani's dedication as a stress reduction specialist has been primarily focused on assisting children. For more information about Wayne and Dr. Roxani, please visit our website at www.relatable-media.com. 
And that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a story that you want us to catch, submit it on our website at www.relatable-media.com. Thank you for listening. And whether you are at home or on the road, we hope you catch this story.